Welcome to Flow Stars, candid conversations between Dr. Peter O'Toole and the big hitters of flow cytometry. Brought to you by Beckman Coulter at Bite Size Bio. In the latest episode of Flow Stars, I'm joined by Ryan Brinkman, Professor Emeritus at the British Columbia Cancer Agency. And in this wide ranging conversations, we discuss the clinical impact of bioinformatics and how to get data without a wet lab. If, I, if I'm going to do bioinformatics, is my career. Um, I'm going to want data well standardized. I want lots of data because I'm not going to have a wet lab. Um, so I'm going to be reliant on others for data. I kind of got this idea back from my PhD that you can get a lot of data from other people and do a really, really cool thing. The clinical impact of bioinformatic data. But also I had twice as much data as you'd ever had before. And one of the things that we that was interesting was in this disease, we, can pre- we know that the size of the CAGRP is associated with your age of onset. And so, so the, the protein expands, this is a CAG expansion. And if you have over 36 um, repeats, you're going to get Huntington's disease sometime in your life. And what really motivates academics? What we do, we do it out of love for what we do. And that, that's a very different motivation. And I don't know that that's something you can teach. That's something you have to feel. All in this episode of Flow Stars. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole and welcome to Flow Stars. Today I'm joined by Ryan Brinkman from the British Columbia Cancer Agency, or, or was out there. Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me here. So, correct me if I'm wrong. You just said you're Professor Emeritus and you're retired. Semi-retired. Um, I, but, but by now, my, as of last night, my lab is the hugest it's ever been. I just hired five people into my academic lab since January on top of the other five or six I had it just doubled my size after I left wow um, is that all on your <laughs> salary that you used to have that is now gone to employ five new people <laughs> well one of one of it is I, I left with a bunch of cash in the bank um and the two I have some really cool projects I'm trying to finish off and three um there is no three <laughs> <laughs> of course I, I, I'm going to ask a personal question now. You said no question was off target. So he says, well, yeah. how old are you? I, I, um, today I'm 56. Yesterday I was 55. I just had my birthday. Wow. Well, happy yeah. birthday. Thank just, you. Uh, Belated. And, uh, You're uh, a bit late. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I, I'm in the UK, but that's ahead of you anyway, not behind yeah. you. I could have got yeah. away with it technically. <laughs> Retired at 50, 55. Retired, uh, retired, but then I started my. Then I st- I just started my career. So January first, I um, I joined Dotmatics, um, and it's the best job I've ever had. Could ever imagine to be um, doing essentially the same job I had up until January thirty first. So now I'm a VP and research director of uh, at Dotmatics, um, doing flow cytometry bioinformatics there. Wow. No, no, no. So this is going to be interesting. We'll come, we'll come back. We will, let's stay where we are and we'll come back in history. So you're VP of Dogmatics. To, to, for those who don't know what doc, Dogmatics is, very briefly, go on, give us a sentence on what Dogmatics does. Um, that, I, should, I should have this down. Um, you've heard of, um, let me, the story is, it's uh, a company that is helping large, organ, mostly large, very large organizations, farmers are primary targets, do science better. Um, and so like all tech, like everything today, uh, data is a massive problem uh, and it's being generated more and more and more 
lots of variety of data, the volume of data. Um, software is a great solution for that. AI is a great solution for that. Um, Dotmatics is a platform of companies uh, that bring together scientific solutions that enable other research. So uh, case in point, you may have heard of Prism, um, previously known as GraphPad Prism. I use that in my PhD. They, they that's part of the portfolio. Um, Dotmatics is the electronic nap notebook, uh, part of that portfolio. Um, they have Austin um, three companies in flow cytometry, um, FCS Express, OMIC, um, my previous company, Cytopex is part of that, that you no longer see that, that got subsumed into OMIC. Um, they have a bunch of tools in the uh, protein field, uh, clinical trials, just it's a whole, it's essentially, you can think of it as um, the Adobe of scientific software. Okay, they, they changed their name, what, two years ago-ish? Yeah, so was it, it was Insightful Science was the umbrella organization um, that started it, and then they acquired Dotmatics, um, and because of the name brand recognition on Dotmatics, um, that is a large part of it. Um, cause nobody heard it and nobody essentially knows what, what is it, you know, insightful science, but a lot of people heard of dotmatics. So, um, that is for the, it's both the, uh, the platform and the umbrella name for the whole organization. So you retired from academia, but now with a pension, but taking up a new career, therefore, yes. Uh, yeah. in, in, in the industrial side. Yeah. I, and I wouldn't say it, it's a, it was a new career. It's a, it's a new way of doing what I've been doing my whole life, but at scale. So let, let's take you back then. I, I, so obviously, uh, what would be the best term? A flow cytometry bioinformatician? That works. It would be a... That, that those are... Three very good words to so, describe my academic career anyway. So where, where did all this start out? Where did you get into I, flow cytometry? Yes, bioinformatics, yes. It's not doing flow cytometry bioinformatics. Now that's getting very niche and specialized and, and an area that is exploding at the moment. So it, we need yeah. more of it. It's but, not something that I grew up wanting to be. <laughs> so so that, that all started. Um, when I was, uh, when I was let go from my pre position immediately previous to this one, um, I had to find a new one and I was, I wanted to, had to stay in Vancouver because Vancouver, beautiful. Um, and I had two, two places I interviewed at. One was, uh, BC Cancer and the other one was a Genome Sciences Center. In Genome Sciences Center, I would have grown up to be, um, somebody who looks at DNA sequence data, uh, you know, um, sequence bioinformatician. Um, and, you know, I'm very familiar with that field. I worked at, um, Washington university, uh, working in the genome space, like thousands of biometricians were doing it at the time. And then I interviewed at, at BC cancer and they tour you around and introduce you to the other, the other PIs there. And Clay Smith was a, was an MD, uh, at the time. And, uh, he's turning me around the lab and there's a bunch of computers out there and they're all doing flow cytometry data analysis, never heard of it. And he says this, we do this, with you do this dating thing, you might want to look into that. And, and I looked, cause it's very hard and it's, it's subjective and time consuming. And this was back in 2002, I think. Yes, yeah, 2003. 
So that, that night I went home and I never heard of this technology. And I, and I went to Google and I, and I Googled flow cytometry bioinformatics. What is, what is this thing that I could do? And I literally got about four hits uh, at the time. And I, and I went to PubMed and I think there were something like eight papers that had been published in 2002. And I looked at the papers and they were not bioinformatics papers when, when you put the flow cytometry bioinformatics. And I thought, okay, I can go be the guy, another guy doing sequence analysis, but there's nobody doing this thing. I, I, I knew... I knew I loved bioinformatics. I knew I loved big data, um, computers, technology, algorithms. Not that I'm good at any of it, but just what I love being involved with. I thought if I'm going to do something, uh, I'm going to do something when nobody else is doing it because I'm not that smart. <laughs> and um, this is like a, it's a blue ocean kind of experience. And then I got super lucky. So then um, the first grant I ever wrote was a, was a travel grant, which isn't really a grant. It was like write a paragraph. Um, and it got me $5,000 to go to ISAC. It was in Montpellier. And um, all the good, everything good in my academic career is coming as a result of ISAC and as a subset of, and a subset of that CYTO. Everything that's been fantastic in my life has been through ISAC. If you're in flow cytometry, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not a member of ISAC and you haven't been to a CYTO meeting, you have missed out on a large part of your life. Uh, or potential for greatness in your career. And so um, I went there um, and I had, yeah, if, I, if I'm going to do bioinformatics is my career, um, I'm going to want data well standardized. I want lots of data because I'm not going to have a wet lab. Um, so I'm going to be reliant on others for data. I kind of got this idea back from my PhD that you can get a lot of data from other people do really, really cool things. Um, and so I, I, I went there with the idea, I, I, if I'm going to do this one whole life, I'm going to do something around data standards. So that's going to enable everything. And so I, I wrote to um, Bob Murphy and uh, the head of the data standards group at the time. Sorry, I can't remember his name. I um, said, I don't know anything about this field. I'm a complete newbie, but I'm really interested and super keen. And would you guys meet with me? And these are like two, uh, Bob Murphy was a luminary in the field. He, he was a, he's a head of ISAC. He, you know, groundbreaking research. He wrote the first paper on the first real paper on clustering of flow cytometry data, like um, when there was back when there was three color data. And in his paper, he says something really cool, you know, um, now that we have five color data, things are getting really complicated and we're going to need new ways to analyze data. It's literally in his paper. It's like, you look at that and you laugh now. And, but they sat down with me. This is the wonderful thing about CYTO is you can walk up to anybody. Everyone's so welcome. I, I guess I have very limited experience with scientific societies. Um, ISAC is wonderful. And they sat, they sat, I have this beautiful memory of the two of them sitting with me um, uh, and they just w wanted to hear what I can do. And they took the time when I knew nothing in the field and they're like, yeah, this sounds good. We'll support you. Um, and it kind of took off. And then, so then I wrote my first, my first grant was an NHR one. And I had, um, a wonderful experience, um, that I had four months of nothing. I was left to my own devices at the BC cancer to find my own way for better or worse. And so I had four months to do nothing but write my first grant, best grant I ever wrote. Um, and so I wrote to the four people that I found on Google and saying, I want to do full scholarship bioinformatics. And they all said yes, which was great. Um, <laughs> one of them was Adam Treister, yep. who was yeah, the head right. of, of yeah. Bojo. Uh, Perry Halland, who is at BD Biosciences. You may have heard of them. Um, um, Michael Oakes, um, he, I found him. Sorry, Michael, I can't remember anything about what happened with your part of the grant. And then the guy who I wrote to, um, he 
bad thing is that he left after he got the grant. And so I was like, oh my God, the guy who's gonna be my grant left. Best thing that happened, Robert Gentleman took his place. Robert Gentleman invented R and bioconductor. All of a sudden I had Robert Gentleman on my R01 to do flow geometry for bioinformatics. The, the way things happened could not have been any better. So I had the, the rock, the, the man who invented R, the head, a guy at BD Biosciences and the CEO of Flojo on my first NAHR one grant. And I knew nothing about flow cytometry. So I, I was off to a good start. That's, that's how I started my life in flow cytometry. Uh, I love it. I also like the irony that, you know, you, you've got TriStar. So, you, you know, thanks to Flojo. And here you are now working for FCS Express, kind of their big rivals in. Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, but that, but but we're, I, I'm collaborating with people who who are direct competitors, right? Even today, um, uh, competitors on paper. Um, so we're doing we're doing this project on. Um, so we're doing a workshop uh, on AI and flow and ML and flow cytometry for clinical diagnosis. Uh, I'm there. Um, Sherry Green from Ozette is there. Uh, Camila, who I love dearly, also a competitor of Dotmatics, is there. We all want the same thing. We all, and, and when, I, when I work with pharma, all the pharma want the same thing. Um, so I have really close collaborations with BMS. They're really happy to work with other pharma to make the world a better place. And, and, and again, my, my whole stick is collaborative science. And we can compete, but, but that doesn't mean we can't collaborate. Yeah, I, I am thinking, you know, we, we run hands-on flow courses and we have the different companies all come and support it together. And they are together. They talk together, lunch together, because they're teaching together. They're not teaching against each other. They are collaborating for the teaching side. It's a big. And you mentioned teaching, and I, I only got a few photos, and you got a montage of. <laughs> I don't know where to go. If, if you're watching, if you're listening to this, you'll have no idea what this picture is. But it is a picture. Of, well, one, two, three, four different groups, and. All presumably of different collaborative projects. It's all the same collaborative project. So this this is all this is all the FlowCap meetings that we had. So FlowCap um, was a series of um, competitions, for lack of a better word. Um, I, again, um, is more about understanding a series of meetings to understand the state of the art of automated analysis of post-cytometry data. Um, so Nima, who uh, was the PhD in my group, who is now a eminent science at Stanford, um, led, led um, was the first author on a series of those, uh, on a couple of those publications, one of those publications for sure, um, where we're trying to understand the state of the art. And so we brought everybody together in the field, which is literally, that's, that, that is all of flow cytometry at the time. I think we did a really good job at re reaching out and bringing people together as part of that work. Uh, again, it was funded um, by, by BD. Jack Dunn, I love you. Um, he bought pizza when there was 10 of us in the room of people who are doing flow cytometry and, and just trying to get the field started. Again, a lot of the early work was just um, trying to get the software and R developed. Um, but it's all just everyone want, comes together just to bring the field forward. Uh, which is really important. I, just think, again, just going back. When you were 10 years old, what did you want to be? Oh, older, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I, I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't really have, like, I want to be an astronaut thing 
in in my head. Um, I, I didn't really, I didn't ever really know what I wanted to do. Even when I was in university, I didn't really, I think I changed my major three times during my, my So what did you choose to start with then? Um, bio, biotech. Um, I, I always loved computers. So when, when I was a kid, I had a, a VIC-20. Um, that, that's when you had to put a little cassette. Uh, my, my brother worked at um, uh, Digital. They, they no longer ex- exist anymore. So uh, when I went to summer holidays there, we, we I could dial into their their Vax 11. And that's when you dialed in. This is, this is my start of computing. When you dialed in with a phone and you listened for that, like in Matrix, I was living that life. And then you hear, itch, and you push it into these plungers to connect. And then so I could play Star Trek. Um, like little X's, little green X's on the screen and move them around. Actually, before that, I, I, my first programming was on, on punch cards. I did programming on Fortran uh, in high school. So I always loved programming. Um, so I knew that was going to be, I never took any formal training other than in high school on that. Um, but I always knew that's going to be part of my life. But I also loved science. I love discovery. Uh, I love, I, the thing I like most about my job is being the first to know something. Like nobody else knows this. I have like my in my Eureka moment, my PhD is like, this is super freaking cool. And 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 I've solved a problem that people have been thinking about. It's the best, it's like a total head rush. Um, the same kind of head rush you get you get when you're on stage. It's just shivers. So I I I love science, uh, but I didn't know what I want to do. So I did bio biotechnology. Long answer to a short question. Um, it changed over a few times, and it wasn't until the third year, I think, George Carmody. Um it was a genetics course, and then um, it was the the the, da- the magic dance of of polymerase and DNA, and how that all just works. Blew my mind. Like how incredible is this dance of things that makes life exist? That it's so beautiful. Um, and it's like, this is, this is, science is a thing. I, I don't know, I, I don't know what I was going to do in science, but I just knew that was, was my thing. Um, still like computing. Um, and I guess my big break was after, you know, I did some database, I did, had my, after my undergrad, I did some work in, uh, doing some database stuff. Um, but then they, they had a post, post for a job at Wash U in Seattle and, um, a friend at the time, it, um, ended up marrying, uh, Fiona said, oh, here's this cool job in, in um, Wash U that looking for bioinformaticians. And the bar was super low at this time to get into bioinformatics. Like I, I knew how to run a SQL query in, act, like it was basically access, <laughs> it wasn't even SQL. Um, but I loved computers and I was enough to get me in. And then I learned how to do uh, Perl programming and stuff. And then, I, and then what happened is I, I was in an academic environment and um, it was in St. Louis. So two things happened. Um, what um, ended up uh, through, through a series of things. Um, it was going to start a family. Um, it wasn't going to be in St. Louis. Um, wanted to go back to Canada for various um, reasons. Um, lifestyle being one of them. Uh, and, I, and I was surrounded by academics. And, and as somebody with just a undergraduate degree, all the cool people, all the cool projects are going to people with PhDs. Like they're doing really amazing, cool. I want to do that. But in at least, at least in where I was, and, and for good reason, um, you, you, you kind of needed a, a card to say you're good enough to do some cool projects. And so I knew that um, I wasn't doing a PhD to get smarter or to learn more. It was it, To me, it was just a calling card 
that would let me get to do cool shit. And that worked. Like I did my PhD on Huntington disease. Oh, nobody ever, ever have never touched Huntington disease again. It taught me, what it, what it did teach me is how to, how to do things. It didn't, it didn't educate me in a domain that was ever useful. It taught me how to do science. Um, how to do, it taught me how to do large collaborative projects. Um, so um, in my PhD, my, my whole reason I got my PhD is because my professor had two databases. Um, one was a research database. It was on people who had Huntington disease. And he had his research database. There was one access database. And he had a clinical database, which is, I forget what it was in. I think it was also in access. Um, and never did it, the two were not connected. Um, but his question is, you know, can, can we look, can we mine this data to discover something new? Was that, that was, he's like, Here, here's some data, figure something out. Uh, and I thought, well, what, what if I put these two databases together? Um, let's try that. And so that was my PhD, put these two databases together and put all the, it wasn't that magical thing to do. But also I had twice as much data as he'd ever had before. And one of the things that we, that was interesting was in this disease, we can, pre we know that the size of the CAGRP is associated with your age of onset. And so, so the, the protein expands, this is CAG expansion. And if you have over 36 um, repeats, you're going to get Huntington disease at some time in your life. Story, um, these repeats can go up to 121. Um, we can make this diagnosis at any time. So devastating disease. Um, and so it, it, there's a whole, did a few papers on uh, the clinical consequences of this, this diagnosis that people can have. It's really interesting stories. Like um, uh, this is one person who had lived their life. Their, they, their parents have it. So you have a 50-50 chance of having Huntington disease. And they never want to get the genetic test. And so they live their life freely um, without purpose, if you will, because they had this shadow over there, this looming, you know, horrible thing. And then they got the genetic test and they found they were going to be okay. Significant psychological trauma, which is the opposite of what you think you have. All of a sudden, you're going to be okay. Everything's fine. And then they live their life without purpose and then they this devastating psych so anyway so so can we figure out this so the thing was can we figure out the age of onset of, of this disease and so i had this there's large data set i published a paper we we had some we can get a pretty good idea when they have age of onset but then i, then I thought okay what well, can we do better and then and then there's a grad student you can get away with a lot so i wrote to everybody in the world who had a Huntington disease lab and said can i please have your data everybody gave me their data part yeah. of that was Part of that, and there was 40 labs around the world who had never heard of me. They heard of my supervisor. Maybe that helped. Um, but they said, here's, our, here's all our clinical data. Now, it was easy for them to give me this data because it was super de-identified. The only thing I wanted was their size of CAG repeat and the age of onset. And now I had 10 times more data than anybody had ever thought of having in my life. And then we can come up with this essentially perfect way to to give a prediction of the age of onset with like super tiny confidence intervals. Like by age 30, by age 40, you have a 98% plus or minus 2% have having age of onset, which has profound implications for clinical work. Because if you give a treatment to somebody, um, you wanna know how long have you delayed their onset. But unless you have those kind of, if, unless you can make those predictions of when the onset could be, you could have never, um inferred when the onset would have happened so you don't know how well your treatment is really working so that was like wow so to me that was the best thing so i could see how my work 
would impact clinical science and development of drugs. And that has been my go-to thing since then is, is de- using software to enable um, the development of drugs, of pharmaceuticals, of big data science. And that's what I'm gonna do. That's been my whole shtick now in post-geometry bioinformatics is developing algorithms, big data, all of that. And with, the fo- with my own focus is enabling other people to use those tools to make discoveries at scale. And, and that is the amazing thing about being a bioinformatician for me is we can, I can hand off my algorithm to somebody else at um, some large pharma company who's like, um, we're working with, I guess I can, this is, yeah, they'll be talking about it at Cyto, working with Kite Pharma. And so they're doing this, this flow structure data analysis by hand. It's time consuming, subjective. I'm just going on, stop me at any time here. Um, <laughs> um, they're, doing this, they're doing this data analysis, trying to draw these circles around dots, which Clay Smith said, can you please solve this problem? Fast forward, in my life to about three years ago, we have this problem solved. Um, we hand it over to other people and we're enabling to save patients that they weren't willing to give the drug to because when they're doing the own um, CAR-T therapies, because they're not certain about how they're doing the man analysis, it's subjective. And they're not willing to make that life death call that we're gonna give this $300,000 drug to this individual because we're not sure how we're, we're not confident of our gating. Which is like, rah! but then we sh- we we walk with them with our algorithm, show how it's working. We we parameterize it over a couple of months, and they and because we can explain our algorithm to them, because they get the ability to tweak how it works, they are super confident how it works. They look at a thousand patients, they're super confident that it's giving the results. We, we they they're able to make their call on three people that they weren't able to make the call before. We got everything else right. Now they're rolling out in production across the company. Um, and now we're saving lives at scale and we have so many, I have so many stories like this so, that that's why I am today. So is that why you started your own company to enable that? that obviously yes, that's exactly. Oh, oh, that's a brilliant story. I, I did not start my company for that reason. <laughs> so when I started the company, uh, and that was one of the best things I ever did in my life, um, because I always had this feeling if I was going to do, if I, if I had been something else to answer your question that you asked before, um, and I didn't know this later. I was like, oh, I will always wish I had done my own company. Um, I, I didn't really care what that company was doing. Um, I just, I like, I like coming up with ideas and having other people do the work. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like the perfect job. I'm a lazy scientist. Um, and so I thought if I was, if I was a CEO, I could come up with cool ideas to do stuff. Somebody else to carry it out. I, I can work on the ideas thing. And so when I, we had when we invented this algorithm that does automated gating, flow density, um, this is in my academic lab, gave it away for free. And I knew it was perfect. It, it is perfect. It, it always works. There's nothing we've not been able to analyze awesomely. I'm not trying to sell you anything because we give it away for free. Um, it needs parameterization. We can talk about some of the issues there. So you have to parameterize it for every panel. That's the downside. But when you do that, it's magic. Um, and so I go give, give these academic talks. And one of the best things about being academic in, in full cytometry back in the day, there was not many or very many of us. I got invited to go everywhere because it, it's like something new that people want to hear about. So I've been all over the world to give these talks. And people come up to me after me and say, yeah, we'd love to use your algorithm, but we're not bioinformaticians. Can you help us? And it's like, yeah, but um, it, it takes, you've got to grease the wheels, right? It takes money to do this parameterization. And I thought... You know, um, and they always come to me after they've written the grant, after they collected the data, 
it's, it's like a, it's an afterthought. And so they don't have any money, more money in the grant. So it's kind of complicated. Um, but um, so I was doing that for a while. And then I gave a talk once and some, some, some guy in industry came over to me. So they had the money. It was like a small little project, but it ended up being really difficult to get money in an academic environment um, because you need a contract yep. that says, we're going to deliver you this thing. And um, I'm not the one signing off on that. It's the institution. And so all of a sudden they're on the hook if Ryan Brickman can't pull off this analysis. And so I, I did that once. It ended up being like months of work to get that contract through and to no fault of their own, but to go through them. And so I thought, okay, um, so is there a way I can get around that? I thought if I start a company, then I can work with academics. I work with industry kind of on the side, these little groups. Um, and get get the the paperwork out of the way. I'll handle the paperwork, and then subcontract all the work to my lab to do the work. And I'll I'll help all these little academic groups, and maybe some, some these small things that are coming up. These small, this like I had this one thing, this small guy with like two people in the company. Um, like they like they mailed me their laptop to install the software on, and I mailed them the laptop back. It was to do some five color data, really simple stuff. So I made I made my little MySpace website with the blinking lights. Just to, so other people would find it, um, and I knew we could help pharma, but it's like it's like I I could help Genetech, I could help Pfizer and BMS, but I'm just a little professor guy, and they, I don't even know. Like I can't call anybody to say we work with us, and to, and it's like a few tens of thousands of dollars. It's not something that some person at the lab can just sign off on. And it's, like, it's never going to happen. It's not, they're not my clients. It's just these little people I see. That, but then I started getting emails from pharma, you know, Google search worked, I guess. And it's like, oh my God, I got, I'm, I'm now I'm working with pharma. They, they found my website and um, it's not. And, then, and so then three, three years later, after four years, so I, three or three years of this company running, I kind of built up. We had, by this time, we had six of the top 10 farmers as our clients doing work. And I, and I've seen this working, you know, where we helped Novartis um, getting Camrya. It's like the first CAR T therapy. We got a really nice, thank you for helping us with our FDA submission. And it's like, this is an incredible thing. Okay. This company thing is working. So maybe I should go back and learn out how to start a company. I just did it totally on the fly. It was, it was, a, it was like a one man show. Um, I was the CEO. I was the bookkeeper. I did all, I wrote, wrote and reviewed all the contracts. The only thing I didn't do was the accounting at the end of the year because the tax man is the one who's going to bite your ass. And you end up like, that's the one guy you got to make happy. But I did everything else. Um, and I thought, okay, I should, I should figure out how to do this company thing. And um, and I, I, I never thought the company would mount to something when I started. I made like one share in the company. Um, when, I, when Justin left uh, my academic lab to go into Paraguay, we just um, started a big project with Pfizer. I thought, okay, you can have this to get you, you can do this project when you go off to uh, Paraguay to get you started and then you can find your life there. Um, so I only had one employee at the time. And I thought, okay, I had to go learn how to do a company. I went to UBC. So if you're in a university and you want to do, start a company, go, go. They have projects at every university to do this. Stanford is great at this. Um, UBC was really good. They, they have a little project called um, Entrepreneurship at UBC. So I went to this course um did like the intro course i thought okay now i get i get the basics like know your customers like oh that would be great if i could figure that out and have your whole project plan and do all this so now, now, now i know it's like the intermediate course and the day we're going to start the intermediate course um i get this email from insightful science saying 
we're interested in your company. Do you want to buy it? I'm like, are you kidding? There is no IP in the company. Um, there's one share, um, but yes. <laughs> and so my, my first day at, at, at the, at the um, entrepreneurship is what, can you tell me how to show, sell my company? It wasn't like how to get it. It wasn't the exit <laughs> strategy. It's like, I, I didn't know I needed one, but now I have one. And, and that started my, and that started my uh, links with insightful science. And that was about two years, two, three years ago. Now that was right at the beginning of COVID. Um, the, the lawyer company, this whole thing is like stuff can still work during COVID um, because of the whole, I never actually got taken out to dinner. I think when you sell your company, they should take you out to dinner. They still owe me one. No, you still, um, haven't. still haven't got my, Hey, come on, know. come on. You're a VP. <laughs> take yourself out for dinner. Yes. Yes. Take yourself out for dinner and work and say, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but that, that was an incredible, just not my whole life has been what that just happened <laughs> without any planning. So I'm going to flip because you mentioned COVID and the impact of COVID. And I have just a few pictures. I have this one here. So this is a, obviously a, a cytometry part a paper. But this is yeah. about SARS-CoV-2, and uh, this is uh, with Andrea and Sarah, who are actually two previous podcast guests. I, these are big cheeses. And Andrea was pretty fundamental in the COVID response and tracking within yeah. Italy on, on a national level. Yeah. And of course, Italy for you, it was, was what? It was, when, it was when the whole world went, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, that's when I think the world realized, like, we're... Yeah. That word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. it was right at the heart of the response because that's, you know, for Europe, that's where it kicked off. Well, it really was. Certainly where it was found or, or most prevalent, yeah. uh, whether it's, yeah. Yeah, let's let others argue about that. So this publication here, so tell me more about this publication. Uh, that, that, this is a beautiful story. Um, so this is right at the beginning of COVID. Um, Right, right during lock, right when lockdown started, like this is when you drive around, it was like the zombie movies, like the streets were deserted in Vancouver. You could drive down the street at any time of day and there was nobody out in the road. It was like one of the neutron, no, not the neutron bombs because there's carbon still be left. It's like everyone was gone. Yeah. Um, and I, I got a, I got an email from a colleague um, who I never worked with, but again, somebody knows somebody who knows somebody who says, um, can you do anything with flow cytometry and COVID data? Like flow cytometry data and COVID, is there any link between those two? I'm like, probably, but this, this is just at the start of COVID. It's like, well, there's no data on it, um, but it's a disease of the immune system, probably this, right? It's an infection. So there's probably somebody somewhere has probably thought of putting some data through a flow cytometer. So yes. And um, he's like, well, can you get some data? I'm like, well, I, I went to Google and like, there's no, or PubMed or whatever. There's, there's nothing that's been run through a machine yet, but I could get some soon. Um, so, okay, so can, can we do, can you, can you come up with some idea that we can um, uh, do something with flow cytometry? I forget what the pitch was, but something like, can you do something with flow cytometry data and put some data in front of people to help them, to help you analyze data? I'm like, no, like, no, <laughs> because it's super complex, right? You, ha you, you have these panels and you have to know what populations to define and you have to draw these gates around them and you have to train them on T cell and B cell biology. And you just can't throw that data in front of somebody and have them analyze it. 
that's stupid. Um, but you know, but, but the pitch was, well, if you can do this, we can do this collaboration where we have this gaming company who is kind of get citizen scientists, gamers to analyze data for you. And I'm like, well, a video game? <laughs> that, and so I'm a huge gamer. I'd heard of this, it's called EVE Online. Um, it's a game I never played because I played WoW, World of Warcraft for years. The same, the same premise, they, they hook you in with incremental rewards and the only way you can, the, how you win at EVE is to stop playing. Um, and it's like, I, I don't, I, but I know of it. It's like, it's a massive, massive, massively multiplayer online game. I'm gonna just switch, cause you also sent me, oh yes this one here so, so so what we did is we it, and it, it worked so now we took andrea we put him in the video game and for the last three years it's still going on today we've had gamers around the world analyzing flow cytometry data for us 24 hours a day i think um we got three hundred and sixty thousand gamers give or take hundreds of thousands of gamers um three hundred sixty thousand accounts uh, hundreds of thousands of gamers have analyzed millions of flow cytometry plots for me. I have the biggest flow cytometry lab in the world. So we solved that problem of having people who know nothing about flow cytometry data, analyze flow cytometry data. And I have two weeks or I have a month to pull it off because I'm giving a talk at Saito saying it worked. It, the jury is still out at this. So you know when, you, when, they, when they invite you to give a talk at a conference? I'm sorry, those people at, uh, I'm sorry, people at Saito who, Future, future people who see my talk, you know, when they invite you back in November saying, can you, do you want, do you want to give a talk at Saito? And you say, say yes. Or when you write in your paper or your, your, your abstract and you, you're not done yet. Right. Um, often. And yeah, we're like, no nowhere. How lucid your abstract. My abstract was, I, they asked me, I didn't know what I wanted to talk about. I, I said, so actually we just published, uh, actually for <laughs> a machine learning algorithm for, for, for imaging. I'm thinking, how am I going to shoehorn this? into a Saito talk that I'm giving. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, so I knew I could talk about this, but I, they have to make it sound sexy. So like, oh, we've solved the automated getting problem. That's like, that's much from now. It's like, so now we're, we're four weeks away. Stay tuned. Um, it's going to work. Um, is it going to look super shiny? Like we solved the whole world in four weeks? No, but it's going to happen. Uh, and it's going to happen because we have so much freaking data. Um, and it's good data. So it turns out you don't need to have, know anything about flow cytometry data in order to analyze it. And the only reason that worked is because of my work with flow density and the algorithm that we developed in the company. All, all, all you need to, to do to understand flow cytometry data is look at a single plot in isolation. And so the, sort of my brain exploding moment is, so I had this other algorithm called flow type, and it's a way we do biomarker discovery, uh, leveraging our flow density algorithm. So what we can do is we take every single population that you've gated and combine with every other population to basically look at tens of thousands of populations. Then you separate your, your patients into treated versus untreated, sick versus healthy, and we'll find those that are different. And then I, and I realized, and we, we're just going through all these bivariates in all combinations. And the algorithm doesn't know nothing about data or nothing about flow cytometry, he's combining them. And in a single bivariate plot, you don't need to understand anything about the biology um, to basically, if you if the goal is to just circle all the things of interest, you can circle all the bits. And once I had those two ideas in my head that came out of my algorithm, so like we can just, we have, it's a Shakespeare problem. We have infinite amount of monkeys or gamers. Um, we're just gonna give them all the data and they're gonna write Shakespeare for me, which is, and the only reason why I did this 
why I had to do this is because, and I'm going to sit up for a second. As, as a society, as science, as post-technology scientists, as a society, we're horrible scientists. Um, and this has been one of the um, things that I've been working on a lot. Because unlike most every other field out there where there's big science, there is no data sharing. Um, there is a bit but, um, in flow repository and import, but not at the scale that you see for other technologies. Um, like every other, every other, if you go to any other journal, if you're publishing a paper that has DNA sequence, you must submit your sequence to one of the repositories. Yeah. Every journal. The only journal in the world that says that is Cytometry A for Photometry. And so the only, the only reason why I had to do this project is if I wanted to develop a machine learning algorithm to gate photometry data, I could not do that because nobody, we can, some people share their FCS files. Sure, they put them on flow repository. Nobody shares how they analyze that data. They might see one example, one example, a couple of PDFs, a couple examples in a, PD, in a PDF of a journal article. Here's how I drew my gates around one sample. That's not going to get anybody a machine learning algorithm. Um, and so data sharing enables science. So I, I've got to say with Eve, uh, you're not the first to be using Eve. That's uh, so on the microscopists, the other podcast, Emma Lundberg uh, has her own and she has a super cool avatar. And Andrea has his super cool avatar. Do you not have an avatar on it? They asked me. I'm, I'm not that. And I said, no. Because uh, Andrea, I know. Um, I said no. Um, Andrea's a rock star. Yeah, because and so he's there because we got our first data set um, for. And, and so when this project started, it's like, and, and they it was understandably everybody wanted COVID data, and so he gave us um, the first samples that came out of Italy um, with COVID data. And I promised him we analyze it all for him. We had we had these dreams that we we're going to analyze it in real time and give the data back to the scientists. It didn't work out, um, but we we're going to have something better. Is we're going to have this machine learning algorithm. We're still going to do that, um, but in the meantime, we we able to take all the data and we develop a machine learning algorithm uh, that's going to work. You know, um, really awesome for for anyone listening, watching or, or listening. You know, we've heard about the importance of data science around Parkinson's and how that's enabled. Parkinson's. So, and then we also had, uh, you know, you've, you've talked about the analysis going to Kite and working with the farmer and Novartis and now COVID, the diversity of this type of research area. And it's not a, you've made it equitable, fortuitously, maybe made it equitable for fun, not, not because you wanted to make it. What gives you more... I, I, I think I'm going, I, I think I know what your answer is going to be. <clears throat> What's the biggest motivation makes you most proud? Is it the financial gain side of it? Or oh, no. It I like, so so I would have taken the, I would have taken, I would have taken a job at Mathematics for like, it's not, not a thing. And it's, it's, it, it's, it's being able to do things at, at scale, at, at, at enabling, enabling discoveries at scale is like, I, 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 um, I was in a relationship with a cardiologist once and uh, for a long time and, you know, saving people's lives every day, like people are going to die, goes in to save them. Great. 
I, like, fantastic. I, I love loved what that meant and meant a lot to them as well. Um, but for me, the ability, like, I can save like hundreds and thousands of patients, develop new drugs, enable new drugs that are saved thousands of lives, all, all through algorithms and science, is an incredible rush. It, it, it gives me purpose to get up. So it sounds corny. No, 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 not at all. I, I think this is really important because I think that, that there's always a fear that the best bioinformaticians will go into banking and the finance world because that's where big money is. Yeah. I think people, I, I think, what's the best way to word this? I, I don't, yes, some people will be financially motivated and that's not wrong. And they'll enjoy the thrill of the ride of that type of industry. Yeah. But people in academia are not there for the money. They've got the same talents, the same skills, but are there to make a fundamental 100%. difference. And you yeah. mentioned earlier the rush of seeing something for the first time, realizing something within the living world that no one else has seen and perceived before. It's like yeah. finding a new star in the galaxy. Yeah. You have that on the bench. You have that on your on your desktop where you find that result that's new. That rush is huge. And oh, to get data scientists, bioinformaticians to see that it's not all about don't don't just be attracted to the markets you know biosciences your new medicines it's where it's going to come from the without the informatics we're not going to get the best drugs the the, the, I, the, the people who work in my in my academic lab and also at domax couldn't agree more um they, they tell me that they 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 fully well understood when they joined my academic lab that they could work figuring out insurance it's a big data problem or figure out how to get more people to buy my widget. That's a big problem. They are the people who I work with and, and at Dotmatics um, are motivated by our, our ability to enable science. And you know what? If only we could teach at the undergraduate level so well, the relevance, that the, the different impacts that people, and yeah. like, obviously we surround ourselves by people who are minded that way, but I think far more, it don't they don't even realize there's potential to do that no. i think we wonder no, and, and it's not it's not an easy thing to describe it's easy to show on tiktok i'm flash you know look at my cars money 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 happiness association right it's 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 a very easy thing to understand um but i think what the, what we do we do it out of love for what we do and that's a very different motivation and i don't know that that's something you can teach that's something you have to feel i i, I don't i don't know that money works that same in that same way yeah, to motivate. I, yeah I, I think that, parts of brain that's good i'm, I'm going to change tack i'm going to ask you some quick fire questions okay your, I, I, no come on we're, i'm going to start with the flow cytometry quick fire what's your favorite okay. color? favorite color yeah. Um, I like blue, blue and orange. They complement you. So actually, I, I'd say orange because my, my heritage is Dutch. So Oranya, mm -hmm. um, okay. uh, uh, the Dutch natural color. Um, I, but my, uh, don't, don't get to wear a lot of orange. <laughs> so if I'm wearing clothes, it's blue. If I'm okay, so, flying so, the flag, it's orange. I, I'm going to throw you a challenge to make, to make sure that uh, Saito in your plenary, you're, you're wearing an orange top. And and, yeah. and and as a done deal for my plenary, I'm going to wear blue. All right. <laughs> I think I'm going to get the better deal out of that. Okay. <laughs> Are you an early bird or night owl? Uh, early bird or night owl? 
Um, is it a POW day? If it's a POW day, I'm up at five o'clock in the morning because my alarm is going off because I'm checking. I, my alarm is going off at the night. My brain alarm is like, check this snow state. So one of the best things about my job is um, when I start, best thing about my life actually was learning that I, I, I like snowboarding and mountain biking uh, coming to BC. And um, um, work-life balance is important. And um, so when I started at Dotmatics, it's a global company. And I talked to Brett and said, um, I'm, I, I want to be on New Zealand time. Um, and I'm a better employee for working on New Zealand time. So that, that would mean I'm starting my workday late in the afternoon, right? But no, my workday work starts at 8 o'clock. Because I'm first in line to get on the, literally the first in line at Whistler um, to go, go up and do some power runs. I, I do about two hours. Like I wake up at five because I'm so excited. Get all my stuff on, have some breakfast, get out, to, get out to mountain. I'm on in the lift. That takes about ten minutes to get the lift line. I'm snowboarding, uploading at quarter after eight. Uh, do a couple runs. I get to work and I am jazzed. I am so I, I'm pumped full of adrenaline. Uh, I'm excited. I, I I'm not getting to work blurry eyed. I've just done like two hours of powder, or just hurtling down some double black diamond, and now I'm at work. Best thing about my job. But if I'm working now, I'm, but I'm working till I'll stay up till like 3 a.m. My best work is between like 10 o'clock and three o'clock at night um, because Fun. emails aren't coming in. I can focus. So I'm at both ends. I'm, I'm the spectrum. Okay. So I, I've got to ask you really quick. When you get injured, how frustrated yeah. do you become? It kills me. So I, I love mountain biking. So I have a plate here on my shoulder, uh, snowboarding knees i have i've wrecked my knees um playing uh soccer i've had acl surgery on both it's hard like um there there is a dependency biochemical dependency that has built up in my head from adrenaline rush and it's either from exercise or or, or that rush you get after doing physical exercise yep. and um when i'm injured i am a shit to be around because <laughs> I'm, I'm i don't have that Tick, 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 or like doing weights, like hitting the gym. And when that, when one of the, when I can't do any of those, it's horrible. Right. It, it is one of the downsides, I guess. It so, is the downside. PC or Mac? Um, false choice. It should be like a KDE, KDE or GNOME. What about Linux? I PC, yeah. Mac or Linux? Yeah. I, oh. Um, unfortunately, Linux. Yeah, I, I would I would use Linux all the time, but then you have so, but then you have to tab out to do all the like office kind of stuff. Um, so it ends up being Mac. Um, but okay. if if I could, I'd be running my home distro that I rolled. So if it's Mac, McDonald's yeah. or Burger King? Oh, then that's a that's a false choice. That is for sure a false choice. So there, there's there's a on the way to Whistler. It's like a two hour drive. There's a McDonald's there, and it's like it's like ah, yeah. so we had to like you can't you can't do that to yourself all the time. So so it's it's pokey. <laughs> so, so so you do do McDonald's sometimes. I do. It's a Big Mac, it, and the fries are so good, and a Coke Zero, which I don't know if you can get there. It's it's better than a Diet Coke. No, no, no. It's the big breakfast. It's a it's a breakfast. I, uh, I breakfast. If you get up uh, early and you're traveling early doors, uh, 
drop off at breakfast and get your caffeine kicked there. Talking uh, about that, coffee or tea? Uh, um, that would have been a false choice up until I don't never drink coffee in my life. Can't get past the taste or smell of it. Um, never got a hang for tea, but then I discovered like a couple months ago, really just uh, London fog, which was invented in Vancouver. So you, you may not have heard of it. It, it, um, that's my new, it's a, um, Earl Grey tea about halfway and then lots of foamy milk on top. Ooh. It's, it's, I, cause I, I'm a, I'm a milk drinker. Okay. Gosh. So no, it's a it's good fun. taste. Yeah, the son drinks copious amounts of milk and he writes, yeah, he operate, he's, he's got his own operating system that he works in as well. He's, he's also yeah. bioinformatics, well, informatics. Uh, easier question, maybe. This is one that I need to know for Saito. Beer or wine? Uh, wine. Red or white? Red. Red, Red. or your blends. Hervey, I'll never forget you taking me <laughs> to some beautiful Bordeaux wines, Hervey Luce. Oh. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a Californian's infant down person. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. But the, um, but I am blessed to live in British Columbia because we have a little microclimate out in Kelowna over the mountains. It's a desert, like cacti grow. We make some phenomenal reds in British Columbia. Like I would put them next to some California ones, like a, just top shelf. Um, like the, um, very, very rich man owns like four, five or six wineries out there. Um, I forget his name. Uh, he's, he's trying to make the world's best Pinot Noir. Yeah, in, we're going to uh, have to move on because I'm getting thirsty just thinking about it. <laughs> for my mind to go. It's not that type of day to drink. Uh, chocolate or cheese? Chocolate. What's your favorite food? Mexican. And because talk- Mexican is always the same ingredients, you're just mixing up. It's like you got some guacamole, you got some sour cream, you just mix them up and see they're in a shell, it's on a plate, it's got some cheese, it's on nachos. <laughs> so, so, who cooks at home? Uh, I, I do if it's I do mostly, or I don't know, I like I like eating out a lot. Um, so does that count? <laughs> if you cook at home, what's your signature dish? Nachos. <laughs> tv or book um books comma comma comic comic books are my go-to reading material okay. have the, but not but not but not the latex superhero we're gonna um stuff like um like um this the story there's graphic novels if you will um they, but they can come in comic they come in comic book form um these are the ones that get made into fantastic TV shows later. And people realize, oh, it came from a comic book. Um, really compelling story. Saga. If you have to read one comic book in your life, read Saga. Right. I've not heard of it. So, so now I'm going to have to look that up. Look that so, one up. Star Trek or Star Wars? Um, I, Star Wars changed my life. I mean, I got that. That's when I was at age where I was like, this is magic. I'd seen Star Trek before on tv but then you see star wars on a big screen and it's like oh my gosh i I given the choice to go read the book or see the movie and i thought oh if i read the book i can keep rereading it again and again because i heard it it's like it was all in the news like this is a great thing oh i'll just read the book so i get that story like a hundred times i can only go see the movie once we didn't have a lot of money as a kid that was like the worst choice i ever had but then the library club went so i got a chance to go with the library club and it's like oh my god what if i have a book doesn't book doesn't always match sometimes people say they know the book is always better yeah star wars 
not so much. <laughs> uh, it, is, it, is in, it is, yeah, proper theatre at the cinema for that. And, and, and do you know what? I think you're the first person who's given me a good reason to first Star Wars over Star Trek, so I'll give you that one. What, what sort of music do you like to listen to? Uh, nowadays, a lot of uh, electronic dance music, like uh, Elderbrook, Bob Moses, stuff that you can dance to. Uh, it comes, it's just like a whole, it's just a continuation from like the Cure and the Smiths electronic music back then. Um, big alternative fan, um, alt rock, but um, now it's more um, like how. Yeah, I, I think we're going to have to actually head out on a, at, at Saito. So you said you listen Love clubbing. To, you said you listen to a DJ podcast. Did you know that John Tiggs is a DJ? I did not. Aha. Uh -huh. So with any luck, if we can get John to DJ, we should be, we should be made. And Andrea should be at Saito. So we get Andrea and Sarah and everyone else up and we can have a, a proper Flow Stars. Uh, that would be awesome. It is. Uh, that would be really quite cool to have. John, oh, we're nearly out of time and I've got loads of questions. Okay. When you retire, if you could do any job for a day or a week, short burn, what job would you like to sample? Sam oh, but that's hard when you come in cold, isn't it? Like I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be a do a mix at a big rave like with a ten thousand people. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I come in, it's like it's like when it when it goes dead, it was like oh. <laughs> that would be that would be fun. So like two two things: being on a stage in front of lots of people, huge rush, music, beef and everything, and then you drop the then you do the big drop, and it was like. Yep. Ah! <laughs> okay so yeah, we've got to ask john to put a big drop in if we can get to dj at saito yeah. as well <laughs> oh come on Let let's drop. see if we can get you up on there djing with him yeah go yeah, if you I'll, like if you show you some ropes to get you up there yeah uh, let me let me do the drop <laughs> uh oh do you know what i i think the, we have to keep these dances really short because we are up to one hour already okay. come on what out of all your career when's been the most fun time today I mean, that was that's so easy um because it's everything's been building up to now i am living my best life um thank like i could not be any happier doing cooler stuff having a better life than i am to today um and the, the impacts that i'm making today are going to make the people i work with are fantastic the organization i work with is fantastic the ability to, the, the changes that we're going to enable across science are going to be amazing. Um, living my best life, doing the, like, and the, my work-life balance is now there, finally. Um, when I started my company, it was like 24-hour day job. I loved it, but it wasn't right. I, I love being in that moment, but it wasn't good for me, and it wasn't good for my family and my kids. Now I'm in balance, and I, I have, it's, how do your kids reflect back? How old are your kids now? Uh, my son is 21 and my daughter is 16. Uh, he's in university now, second year. How do they reflect back on that? That was a hard time. That was a hard time. Um, it, uh, so, something has to drop, right? Uh, I think this is, this is a problem that we have a lot in our field. There's a lot of pressures um, in, when you're starting academia. I never wanted to be a professor. When I, when I interviewed at PC Cancer, I forthright told them, I do not want to be a professor because I was fully aware um, 
through my relationship at the time with with um, Fiona that she was just starting out as academic. It is a 24 hour a day job if you allow it to be when you start out because te- you're just starting out teaching, you're writing grants. It's just that you bring you have kids in your lab that you're bringing up. It will consume all your time if you allow it. And then I started the company, and I was there's they were both going at the same time. Um, it's not good. Something has to happen. And then they come here, and the place is like a bomb went off, and then the kitchen's a mess. And it wasn't good for them. And but you must have justified that to yourself at the time. This is a good thing. The right I, thing I, to I, do. I, so you just I just have to get through this. I just have to get through this. I just have to get through this. The, the light the light's gonna it's gonna get better. It, sometimes it takes a long, and it takes a lot. We, I think when all the professors have been through that and it is tough and you just have to get through that, but you have to, there's only so many times in the day and that, and that work-life balance is a real struggle in a period. And a huge shout out to all the moms who are professors who've done this. They're the primary caregivers and that is a whole other burden. And so I uh, just a huge shout out and respect to all the mom, mother professors, CEOs out there, um, I cannot even imagine. And on that, we are over the hour mark. I cannot believe that is that has gone so quick. <laughs> but I will say, everyone who's watched and listened today at Flow Stars, just go and tune into Andrea and Sarah, for example, to start with. Uh, and John Teague's a DJ, uh, the one and only. Uh, super cool. Hopefully, we'll see you at Isaac. And Saito. Uh, I will drop another one through the other podcast, Microscopies, because Emma Lundberg with their Eve project, and also uh, Chris Lintot, uh, who does the Zooniverse, another citizen science. So, actually, if you want to make a difference and you know, just enter into citizen science, you've got Eve, you've got Zooniverse, uh, you know, Lucy Collinson's podcast talks about drawing round electron micrographs, electron microscope images. Imagine how boring it sounds, <laughs> but super cool. A difference that you can make, which is great. But Ryan, your energy, I think I have energy. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I've been out energized on one of my own podcasts. That's amazing. Ryan, you are an inspiration to us Thank all. You. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to buy you a glass of red wine at Cyto. And, and the same in return. And that's how Cyto parties start. <laughs> Thanks very much, everyone. <laughs>